we are having a lively discussion within Christian circles about charity and what is appropriate and what isn't, what's effective and what's not in our giving and our going and our acts of compassion. But I can tell you this, that the flesh fights giving of yourself. And if there is need to increase the depth of our giving in order to accomplish even greater healing, then we need to give even more. I am impressed today with the power of God's love unleashed in the lives of His people. And I'm grateful for the way that you unleash that love every week as you seek to express God's kindness in our community. I've been sitting down with Joseph, and that's the series we're in, and we're in Genesis chapter 41, right at the end of 41, reading into chapter 42. The lives of the patriarchs are not neatly separated into categories, and today... We're dropping back a little bit to check on Joseph's dad, Jacob. Having already seen how God prospered Joseph in Egypt after he was sold into slavery. And how he interpreted the dream of Pharaoh. He was exalted to be governor of Egypt. And the seven years of prosperity were followed by seven years of famine just as God interpreted the dream to be. And verse 56 says of chapter 41, when the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go, in there, go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Every family has mysteries. Every family has secrets. These boys sitting in the tent with their dad Jacob have been keeping an awful secret now for 20 years. They told their dad that Joseph was dead but they had sold him into slavery. Every family faces crises. And they come in all shapes and sizes. This family now faces a great crisis. And the time has come to act. I don't know 
why these boys are sitting around staring at one another. Don't they know there's a famine in the land? I would suggest to you, don't deny the famine. The famine has come. It's ravaged Egypt. It's touched all the countries around. Surely these boys know that the famine is coming to get them. But they seem not to know. Families have a tendency to deny the crises they're in. Sometimes we do it more than others. I remember observing a man's family. In fact, being involved in ways he did not know that I was with his family. And I said to him, I, I took him for a ride in a pickup truck. And I stopped in a little wooded area, turned off the truck, and I turned to him and I said, your house is on fire and you're going to lose everything if you don't act now. You know what he said to me? Uh, I don't think it's that bad. I just don't think it's that bad. I said, you're wrong, it is. He insisted it was not. He not only lost his wife, he nearly lost his life. He lost his ranch. He lost his reputation and his standing in our community because he wouldn't acknowledge the famine that was taking place in his own life. He just wanted to sit and look at other people. I imagine there are all kind of famines that are represented right here today. A famine is a terrible thing. It destroys the lives of the weak, the young, and the poor. And almost always, the weak, the young, and the poor are most at risk when the crisis comes. So I would say to you, open your eyes, brothers and sisters, the condition of your own life, the life of your family, the life of your community, and acknowledge and face the realities, though they be difficult. Don't deny the famine. And don't refuse the journey. I think about these boys sitting there in the tent, staring at one another, and wonder, maybe they've heard too that there is food in Egypt. They just don't want to go there. Jacob is in the land of promise. It is where he has lived all his life. He says God has blessed him in this land. And, and he says the Lord has been with me in distress. And he has heard my cry. And he has been with me in all the places where I've gone. And he is found in the land. A haven of rest. 
And he knows this land was promised to Isaac, his father, to Jacob, his grandfather. And going to Egypt seems such an extreme and difficult thing to conceive. How could that be the will of God? It was here where he found Bethel, the house of God, and the gate of heaven. Egypt seems so far away, such a distant place, so different from where he was. And yet, like Hosea the prophet said, out of Egypt have I called my son. And you will recall that Matthew, the gospel writer, said this also of Jesus. For Jesus was born in the land of promise, in Bethlehem, the city of David. And yet, when Herod began to vent his wrath upon that land and kill the babies, the family escaped to Egypt. And Coptic Christians there for these 2,000 years still try to trace back their lineage to that trip the Holy Family made to Egypt when the life of the Christ child was threatened. Even Jesus was a refugee and went to Egypt. Sometimes the crisis comes and the famine comes and you know what you must do but it is so difficult and hard and you really don't want to do it. You'd rather not go there emotionally. It's so difficult to go and yet to address the heartache in the house and the heartache in your home you've got to make the journey you know sometimes God's people have to go to Egypt Jacob cannot appreciate in this moment when he sits in the tent with his sons the weight of this decision to make this journey there is no way he can understand how this will dramatically change the future of God's people for 400 years. My Old Testament professor used to graph the history of Israel, and I, I think I have a graph there in the notes. Uh, and I've got the notes right here. There they are. Thank you, guys. And, and he would draw the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when he got to Joseph, he dropped down here. And he'd draw a long line on the bottom of the chalkboard. And see, Jacob and his sons are sitting right at the precipice. When history's going to take a turn that they cannot understand. They don't realize that God has made a provision for them that is so dramatic and they are going to be reunited with their brother that they sold down here in Egypt. They can't know. They have to take the step. They have to go. They have to trust God, even in the midst of this very difficult thing they are called to do. What difficult journey has the Spirit of God been prompting you to take in mind or heart? And you have resisted it. But you know that it's right. 
Jacob says there's food in Egypt. I would say to you, don't deny the famine. Don't refuse the journey. And don't pass the buck. I want us as a congregation of people to shoulder the responsibilities that are ours in our families, in our homes, and in our community. I want us to be upfront and open-eyed and honest about it. I want us to feel the weight of being God's chosen people, the salt and the light for this city that we love. I want each of us to feel the pain of the violence in this city, the hunger in this city, the illiteracy in this city, the poverty in this city. I want us to feel it. Why? Because we are the people of God. We are salt and we are light. And God has unleashed us in His world to address the pain and hurt of the world just as Jesus did. And we don't want to set it aside or deny the famine or refuse to go there and live our comfortable lives in our ease. It was Amos who pointed to the people of God and said, you lie on your couches and you drink your Gatorade and you don't care for the tribulation of the people. Not that you are to go to bed every night disturbed and upset at the pain and sorrow in the world but that you are to be aware that you are part of the solution in your part of the world and that living faithfully makes a difference in your place and with the people whom you connect with. Jacob's sons are sitting around the circle and they just keep looking at each other. And I think to myself, well, Simeon, are you just halting on the edge of decision? You're the oldest. Are you going to do something? Judah, you seem to be the brave one, always taking the initiative. Why haven't you moved? Maybe they are paralyzed by indecision or by fear. But I read this text... And I see in Jacob a man of action who intends to do what is necessary to save his family, to feed his family, and care for the ones that he loves. God's call to each of us is to be people of action, not just words, not just thoughts, but deeds. To not only think, but move and accomplish the thought. Jacob said, go. He ordered his sons to stop looking at one another and move out into a solution. It's always easy to say, well, that's the government's job. There are a thousand ways to do your creative economics so that you don't have to do a thing. And the sin that pursues you, perhaps more than anything else, 
is the sin of sloth. Slothfulness. Just sitting, vegging, while the world goes to hell in a handbasket. And God calls His people. says, I want you to live with your eyes open. I want you to see the need in the world. I don't want you to pass by on the other side of the road. I want you to be moved by the hurt and pain and sorrow that you see. I want you to get into motion and go, even if it's a strange place, even if it's a long journey, even if you have unanswered questions and certain fears, to respond to the call, the need, and obey as God has called us. Let's not pass the buck. Let's ask the question, Lord, I know I can't solve all the world's problems, but how do I get food to the people sitting here? How do I address the pain in my family now? What can I do to help my children? What is it you want me to do? Lord, here am I. Send me. Don't you love the prophet's words? Lord, here I am. Send me. I'm not perfect. I'm wounded like everybody else. But in the moment of worship, Isaiah saw the vision. And he knew though the king had died, the throne was not empty. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Uzziah was much loved by Isaiah. The prophet loved the king, and he died. And in his grief, he went to the place of worship. And there he realized it wasn't the politician that was on the throne. It was the God of heaven on the throne. And he was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And in the moment of worship, when he understood the sovereignty and presence and power of God, God spoke to him and called him, and he said, Hear my Lord, send me. Don't pass the buck. And don't miss the miracle. What if these guys had sat around looking at one another and never moved? They would have died in the famine that ravished the land. Jacob would never have been reunited with his lost son, Joseph. These brothers would never have received forgiveness from this brother whom they wronged. The family would have never been put back together. All the things that would have been missed had they refused to make the trip to Egypt and take action in the crisis, though it seemed strange and difficult at the time, they were on the precipice of a miracle. But they did not know it. And so it is with you putting your life in motion at the time of need, at the point of crisis, feeling the urgency of the hour, knowing that to take no action in the time of crisis may be the most costly thing you do. And so to say, Lord, with all the wisdom you give me and the strength you provide, I'm going to do what I feel you prompting me to do. 
and I expect to see your miracle unfold. Timing is such a key, isn't it? I got a picture of Peter Pan in front of a big clock. Can you show that to him? You remember how Peter Pan was surrounded by all the clocks at one point? And how Captain Hook hated the clocks and he broke them all? Because he didn't want to hear the ticking of the clock. You live your life with this backdrop, with the clock ticking behind you. Sometimes you are very aware of the sound and you're impressed with your own mortality. And sometimes you're young and like the couple that walked across the street in front of me yesterday, they never looked one way or the other. <laughs> and I said to the folks in the car, I said, I guess they think they're immortal. You know, they, they just think nothing can hurt them. So they walked right in front of the car. And I didn't hit them, you know. I was paying attention, but they sure weren't. Sometimes we think we're immortal. And sometimes we're so impressed with how the clock is ticking. And there comes a point in your life, as it did with Jacob, where it's not the amount of living you have left, but the significance of what you do with the remainder of your life. The impact you have on the generation to come. The people who follow you and the heritage left behind. And Jacob is the man who feels the urgency of the hour even more than the boys in that tent. And he sends them on, making the decision to get them going. Why? Because he understands that in the crisis... Time is not your friend. It is, as Chaucer said, time and tide wait for no man. The things you are intending to do better get busy. Time's running out. The reconciliation you hope to achieve better move on that. The clock is ticking in your life. I don't want to scare you. When I was 18, I was so filled with the urgency of the coming of Christ and the end of the world, I didn't even want to go to college. I said, I hadn't got time to sit in a student's desk and study books. I am out to save the world. i got to go straight into the ministry. And somebody sat me down and said, wait, David. <laughs> I mean, you need to do some study. Get ready for such a thing. So I went to college, but I got to tell you, it was kind of reluctantly. And I got out of college and I jumped right into a church because I didn't have time. The world was coming to an end and Jesus was coming back and I had such an urgency on my heart, I didn't want to go to seminary. And after four years of being in the pastorate, I said, I got to go to seminary or something. I was 21 years old with a church of 800 members, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I knew it better than anybody. <laughs> and so I came down to seminary, but really I was thinking the whole time, you know. I got at the desk at the Times-Picayune, and I said to the editor, I want to work on a story. What's it about? Well, it's about this prophecy, about the end of the world. I was still living with this urgency of the hour, this sense that the end was coming. And sometimes you make poor decisions because you move in haste, and I don't want to hasten any poor decision. 
But I do want you to understand the urgency of the hour. Jesus said, Work while it is day, because the night is coming when no one can work. It was Jesus who, when he came, came at the very point of time that even the Magi could understand, this is the moment, and so the Father sent him. And when his disciples urged him to tell the whole story, he said, my time is not yet come. He was a patient man, but he knew the moment. He understood the moment. He talked to the Pharisees when they didn't get it, and he said, you can study the sky and you can study the earth, you can predict seasons and storms, but you do not know the significance of your own day. And he said concerning the city of Jerusalem that it would be torn down, not one stone left upon another. Why? Because they did not know the time of their visitation. They couldn't sense it. When God was talking to them, when God was opening the door, when the opportunity was passing them by, they could not see it. They did not know the time of their visitation. There are families in trouble, and God's knocking on your heart. Do you know it's time? You've been prompted by the Spirit, drawn to church, maybe after years of being out. Do you know it's time? Can you sense the time? of your visitation? Do you know God's knocking on the door? Nobody's in the room by accident today. Nobody's on this journey back toward God because you thought of it. God's calling you and drawing you. Can you identify the time of God's visit to you? What would be tragic is for you to sit around looking at others while the opportunity to change things, to make a difference, to start a different life and take a new direction while the opportunity just passed you by. The prophet said, Behold, today is the day of salvation. It's time now to decide many of us halt at the point of decision so long so many things fall apart and die as we hesitate in the moment Joshua said choose you today whom you will serve it's time to decide if God's God then serve him and if you're going to serve some other God then do that but as for me and my house, he said, we will serve the Lord. Oh, that men, husbands and fathers, that mothers and wives might say today, Lord, I know the time of my visitation. I know the opportunity I have. I believe you have knocked on my heart's door and that you are speaking to me and I want to respond in the moment of opportunity. Let's bow together. You say, what shall I do in this moment that God has stirred my heart? Well, you need to say yes to the call of God upon your life. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, today is the day of salvation. Say yes to the 
prompting of the Holy Spirit within your heart, if, if He's calling you to a new walk and, and to return to the way perhaps that you deserted long ago, to say, yes, Lord, I'm back. Like the prodigal son returning to the Father, I know that you love me. I'm ready to come home. It's time to say yes to the prompting of God. Lord, I pray today for men and women who truly are at a point of crisis, who stand in a moment of opportunity to make a decision now is to experience your miracle in their life and to wait, maybe, to miss the chance forever. So, Lord, I pray that you will draw us to yourself. Help us to know the time, the moment. Lord, I pray for those who have never trusted you as Savior, that today will be the day. Those who have followed at a long distance, today will be the day. Those who have been saved but never publicly identified with Christ in His church, today will be the day. Those who have crisis of a personal nature, today will be the day for a new beginning, a new start. God, let us know what we can do and help us do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.